0: You're listening to Film School, broadcasting every Tuesday at 9 AM Pacific Time at KUCI 88.9 FM Irvine, California, and on the web at KUCI.org slash filmschool. I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Kaspar. Considered one of America's greatest filmmakers, Charles Burnett was born in Mississippi raised in Watts and studied at UCLA's film department in the 1960s. His film, To Sleep With Anger, won the 1991 Independent Spirit Award for Best Director and Best Screenplay for Burnett and Best Actor for Danny Glover. Among his numerous films since then, Burnett has written and directed Nat Turner, A Troublesome Property, The Annihilation of Fish, and The Glass Shield latest film, Namibia, The Struggle for Liberation, premiered at this year's Los Angeles Film Festival. Burnett's first feature film, Killer of Sheep, made in 1977, was selected among the first 50 films placed in the National Film Registry for Preservation by the Library of Congress. Now 30 years after its debut, Killer of Sheep has been restored by UCLA's Film and Television Archive and is ready for its long-awaited international release, Charles Burnett, welcome to Film School.
1: Hi. Hi. How are you?
0: Good. How are you doing today? I'm
1: fine. Oh, just one other correction. Uh, oh. it, was, it, was King, it was Ken Greenberg and, and uh, Frank Christopher and myself who wrote um, Annette and The Troublesome Property.
0: Ah, yeah, all right. Very good. Guys. So, You know, we were just listening to Louis Armstrong's uh, uh, West End Blues, which you had in uh, Killer of Sheep. What the, made you decide to pick Louis Armstrong for that and for that particular scene in there?
1: first of all I thought, I thought it went well with the film and I was, a good, I was a Louis Armstrong fan I used to play a trumpet but uh, I've always liked that piece So, and um, I was always trying to find places for to uh, insert some of the pieces that, that I really liked a lot
0: well there's that the Dinah Washington mm-hmm.
1: uh, piece in there too that just works beautifully with well. beautiful
0: you must have spent a fair amount of time uh, picking the songs or did you have things stacked up in your memory ready to, to, to overlay
1: yeah, I I remember those songs, and I played them a lot, and so they were already there. So it was just a matter of putting them in
0: uh-huh.
1: the right place, and them in the right place.
0: You uh, grew up, not grew up, but you were in uh, Mississippi until what age?
1: Oh, I was a child. I mean, I, 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 all, all my formative years and memories are all in Los Angeles.
0: Uh-huh. So did you move directly into the Watts
1: area? No, we uh, sort of moved, uh, it was in like in near East L.A. There was... Uh-huh. Um, sort of a trailer project or a trailer homes or somewhere up there, just north of town, I remember, or something. And then we moved into Ramona Gardens, which is in East L.A., and then from there to, uh, which is 99th in town, which is not too far from Watts, which was about three blocks mm-hmm.
0: away. So one of the things I love about your films, too, is is just Los Angeles itself. Mm-hmm. You know, to strip away the storyline and everything. I, I love the way you've documented the city and the streets of it. It was... Is there uh, intention behind this? Is, was there? Uh, did you really want to to document Los Angeles, or was it more of a backdrop and you didn't necessarily care where you were?
1: Well, no, no, it, it was a part of it because most of the streets I grew up on, you know, and, and I remember a lot of those things and uh, those places. And uh, you know, if you are very visual and you, you look for things that are. Mm-hmm. Uh, meaningful in terms of representing a, sort of a, a character of the city and things like that, and and LA at the time when we were growing up was a great place in a sense that uh, there was a lot of openness and uh, you just as a kid you can it was like Tom Sawyer almost you know mm-hmm. uh, there was so much adventure and things and during the summer we you know woke, we woke up in the morning and just uh, we, we were gone all day just playing in the yeah. streets and things like that so so the uh, landscape was very much a part of uh, of your consciousness.
0: Yeah. Now, did you ever throw rocks at trains? Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Good. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. I think everybody did. I know who didn't. Yeah.
1: yeah.
2: yeah. We, used to, we used to throw dirt clods. We used oh, call it yeah. dirt oh, clods. Well. We didn't actually throw rocks at each other because I, I know there's it, <laughs> and there was, of course, inevitably there'd be a rock somewhere buried in the dirt clod, and that would be that would be pretty bad. But uh, uh, I mean, that, I'm that sorry. A lot of
1: scars. And a lot of rocks. <laughs> oh yeah.
2: Oh yeah. Uh, I want to ask you, what year was Killer of Sheep actually filmed? When did you film that?
1: I think it was like 70, 73, I think. I'm okay. not sure.
0: And it was released, though, in 77?
1: It wasn't really released. It was at a showing at outside of UCLA at uh, Howard University. There was some sort of conference there, I think, around that time in the, in the late 70s. And uh, that was the first place outside of UCLA, I, I, think, I, I think, that... Um, it was screened publicly.
0: Did you know right after you finished the film, did you feel that you had a winner here, or did you just <laughs> don't think about that at all?
1: No, I didn't. I mean, um, it's very strange because the film was never really meant to be shown publicly. It was reaction uh-huh. to how, we, how a number of people at UCLA were making films about the working class. It was a response to that, and it was also a response to how Hollywood was treating you know, uh, people of color. Yeah. And so it was trying to get at uh, a slice of life. The film was supposed to pose questions like, "How would you help Stan in his situation?"
2: So you never, you never intended for a theatrical release. You, did you try at, at any point?
1: Or? Well, those things just didn't happen in those days. It isn't like it is now, you know, where yeah. you know you had Sundance and all these other places. You know, yeah. they had educational films like Churchill films and things like that, but nothing for for these kinds of films that I can think of.
2: At what point did? people begin to take notice of Killer of Sheep? What, what, when did it begin to kind of take on a life of its own?
1: It went to Europe, I think, and that was the, the, the big surprise. That's where it got, uh, for a lot of black like, independent filmmakers makers during that time, kind of like a shot in the arm, because it wasn't really, and nothing we did was really considered here. It wasn't until uh, people like uh, Ir, McGregor, the brilliant film festival then, who ran... I think the Young People's Forum, I can't remember now, and Art Hesselink and Captain Well in France, and, you know, and I think art, art again in, in Amsterdam, um, put together a package of black independent films and uh, toured them throughout Europe and things like that. Uh, got a lot of critical, uh, you know, acclaim and reviews, and everything was written in the, a lot of things were written in the paper about them, which was for the first time. That was really helpful, and that was when the first time we, we sort of had this sort of... Um, i feeling that, you know, in the 30s, um, I mean, revisiting the 30s when jazz came to Europe, and, uh, and these people were, like, sort of honored, you know, and, and validated, and I remember talking to uh, Bill Greaves and Bill Gunn and people like that, and, and we sort of all said the same thing. This is probably a very similar sort of parallel to the whole history of jazz in a certain way.
0: Yeah. We're well, speaking the- with director Charles Burnett of the... Film Killer of Sheep.
2: In the early 70s, there was a lot of talk about sort of the new breed, the uh, the Coppolas and uh, the mm. Spielbergs and Scorsese. And that's about the time that you were making Killer of Sheep. Mm. You're saying, and I, I'm certain was happening, was that there wasn't a whole lot of room in this sort of new wave of American filmmakers for people of color. No, right?
1: no, no, there wasn't. Uh, it was sort of more, more or less underground, if anything.
0: Were you we ever tempted to move to Europe?
1: Uh, we felt more comfortable there in many ways. Yeah, in some ways. Yeah.
0: You ever ever pack a bag? <laughs>
1: uh, I started to recently. <laughs>
0: oh really? Oh, really? My goodness! <laughs> yeah. Well, well, tell me a little bit about that. Is what what would be the reason for that?
1: Oh, uh, there were some things happening here. I mean, there's one thing that was sort of horrendous in Texas. You know, um, uh, you know this um Kenneth Foster case. You know where mm-hmm. he was going to be yeah. executed uh, about two weeks ago. Yes. Yeah. And I just thought that was a horrendous. That was just going to be the straw that broke the camel's back. If, if this person was going to be killed for some... Um,
2: for being in the vicinity.
1: Yeah, for yeah. the uh, law party things. I, I just felt so threatened at that point. You know? yeah. I mean, you know, because you get the gene of six, and kids are getting, you know, 20 and 30 years in life sentences. I mean, 13-year-old kids and 15-year-old kids, you know, that's... Yeah. Ah, that's... Yeah. Uh, a bit much. And you have a kid yourself, you know, two kids, and... Um, you know, it gets pretty
0: scary. Are you considering uh, writing something about it, doing a screenplay about this, or are you considering moving?
1: Well, you know, it. Um, luckily, the the, the governor, um, you know,
2: state is a mean, yeah. yeah.
1: But um, it's it, it's hard to to. Um, and I think that's the difficulty of trying to do independent films now or doing something creative because uh, you have to second guess people what they want. You know, you just can't make a film and, and try to get it distributed or made because yeah. it just doesn't happen that way anymore. Uh, you just don't have, you know, the means of distribution of money. It, it um, You have to sort of, like, structure it around someone, when someone else's aesthetics and things like that.
2: We're speaking with Charles Burnett, the director of Killer of Sheep and many other films, and I want to touch on a couple other ones. My Brother's Wedding was also a, a film that has gotten a tremendous amount of acclaim.
0: I think it's this Friday it's going to be showing in New York. Is that right? I think so. And And that'll be... The uh, the first time it's been showing in edited form, which uh, I, the way I understand it, there were some problems in production. Uh, the <laughs> The German backers, yeah, are you are you laughing about Everett Silas? Is that? Uh, what? Uh,
1: yeah, Everett. There were some other things too, but uh, it was I think my second film, and uh, I got some money from ZDF, which was main, what's main with where I got most of the money from and, and Channel 4 after, after selling killer sheep there. And so they put together a budget to make this film. It was a sort of disastrous in many ways because it was very low budget and just had enough money to pay the actors. And, and you have one or two people in there that wanted a bit more and... and yeah. um, and as you go along, they, you can extort more because, you know, you're yes. more or less obligated to them. Because, you know, you can't turn around at a certain point. And so he disappeared for a long time. And uh, one of the actors disappeared for a very long time.
0: Well, and the lead, sort of, pretty it, much. I
1: yes. The lead. Yeah. Oh. And, uh, and then I, I had a schedule to meet with um, German television. And I just didn't want to ask him for another delay. And so I, um, he finally showed up. So we rushed to get the, finish, the film finished. It was more or less like a rough cut put together and then sent over to them. You know, it was uh, mixed in everything and everything and got a, a release print. I've always wanted to go back and redo it, and um, so I had a chance to do it somewhat uh, this year. But all the elements I don't have, so we just had to take uh, uh, take what's there in the, in the release print and right. cut from that. You know, it's but, of, it, more, it was more or less like trimming and taking things out rather than really editing a film.
0: Hmm. So there were there was footage that was shot that you didn't have access to anymore. Oh yeah, right?
1: no, all that stuff is gone. now. Oh, that's oh, a shame. That yeah. a shame.
0: I, it's it looks wonderful though. It's a beautiful film. I saw it last night. It, congratulations on it. It's a it's a fine piece. There's beautiful color going on in it too, at least from my perspective. And there's there's one shot I I, I just got to say I love is the uh, the look out of the cleaners, where it's oversaturated light coming in there. Uh huh. It just looks like Los Angeles. I'm going to go back to Los Angeles mm-hmm. again. There's a lot of shots there that are just mm-hmm. this wonderfully captured Los Angeles during that period of time.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I was experimenting at one point with some filters which I shouldn't have <laughs> 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 with some with some uh, fog filters and things. There's one shot in there where. Uh, the light just bleeds over into a character too yeah. much, though. Oh, you
0: think so? I liked it. I'm, yeah, I'm there's a...
1: this old guy who brings his pants in uh-huh. to get it <laughs> fixed, and yeah. he, he cuts back to the, uh, a shot of him leaving the store, and it's just the, the, the light, I think. Uh, it was too strong of a filter, I think.
2: Okay, well, we'll do it again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, okay. Now, was, was the, the success from uh, Killer of Sheep going, going to Europe, did that pry loose some money for you to do some of your other films?
1: Not really. It was strange because it was, uh, you know, won something at the Berlin Fest Festival, and um, some other place. It was a lot of press and everything. But coming back to the states, there was absolutely nothing, you know. Uh-huh. And and I think people like Bill Gunn and, uh, and Bill Greaves and everyone were talking about the same thing that you know, and then that's why I think a lot of people were talking about well maybe we should move over to Europe or something like that because uh-huh. there was nothing here in, in in any of the trades or anything about what was going on with black feminist wow. films and, and at these festivals.
0: How did you run into Danny Glover?
1: Linda Calissus, uh, who had had worked with Danny Glover in San Francisco and on stage in a, in a little theater, uh, knew him, and she was in partnership with Kathy Chubb at the time. Then we uh, approached Danny through her, actually. And that's how we got through Danny. But I had met Danny earlier when um, he was a friend of uh, Carol Manny Lawrence, and they did a film together about Oscar Michaud, I think it was. And we were up in San Francisco, and I met him then. It was through uh, Linda Calaisis who got us together again.
2: Charles Burnett, who are some of your influences?
1: A lot of people, I think. Um, I remember um, one of the films that hit me really in an interesting way was... John Wynne Was the Southerner. It was uh, a film that was something very special about it, and I couldn't put my finger on it until much years later, that it showed a black and a white tenant farmer struggling to survive in Texas. Like I said, it was something unique about it in the sense that it showed blacks and whites Getting together independently of the sort of film that you see made that the white person is dominant and the black person has a less of a part and less humanity and things like that. Everything is sort of displayed in a white character here. They both shared the stage and they both were, were codependent on each other. In a sense. Mm-hmm. I thought that was unique. And then, strangely enough, years, many years later when I was in film school, um, one of the uh, teachers in American cinema was saying that Europeans can't make movies about Americans. And he used this as an example, the Southerner, and I was sort of shocked, you know. Yeah. First of all, you know, most of the people in, in the industry were basically from Europe anyway. was a case where uh, I just couldn't figure out what he was talking about. And then I realized that it had broke the mold. It wasn't like a Birth of a Nation and a lot of his other films that mm-hmm. Hollywood made that sort of were, were stereotyping black people again. This, was, this broke the, the whole perception of black people in a way, that Hollywood had been treating them in the past. And so I really admired it before that. Right. And there were some other people like uh, Jean Vigo in terms of documentary films and things like that. Uh, a lot of American directors as well mm-hmm. that uh, made a lot of films in the 40s, 50s and on back. You know, they were really great. Yeah, It wasn't until later that I ran into people like Oscar Michaud and Usman uh, Sambin. And Ousmane Sambin's Tide* just really, for me, a really an important film.
2: It sounds like you were influenced by uh, documentaries. I-, I have that sense in watching your films.
1: Well, uh, yeah, I do, because they, they they look like photography in many ways, particularly the old documentaries, older documentaries, you know, like Pierre Laurence and people like that, and mm-hmm. Basil Wright, Flaherty. Particularly, I, I think I was impressed with Pierre Antz's documentaries, like The Plow, The Book, The Plane, where mm-hmm. the music and the rhythm of the images and things like that were just so lyrical and poetic.
0: Well, it seems, too, that your films are trying to show real life, and maybe that's what Mike's seeing in the documentary style. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a pace and a rhythm to your films, you're just open to what you see in front of you in real life and trying to capture that instead of trying to sensationalize things or, or to you know, pack everything into one minute to be sure that everyone's attention is, is riveted. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, how do you go about writing dialogue? How is it that you, you capture that? Because there's some wonderful stuff in your films as far as dialogue.
1: Goes. Uh, I, I think listening to people and trying to uh, make sense out of it and, and put it in some sort of context yeah. has meaning. But I also have to mention the um, realistic filmmakers as well because I was really impressed by them and their philosophy. Mm-hmm.
2: Some of the Italian
0: filmmakers.
1: Oh, yeah. I think was very important to me.
0: Have you seen any Jim Jarmusch movies?
1: Yes, I have.
0: Do you, do you enjoy him? Yes, I do. I know there's a stretch, but I, I just see a lot in the pacing and just in the framing of shots. Between you and him, There's, it makes me feel at home when I'm watching these things. It makes yeah. me feel relaxed, and I don't, I'm do not i not worrying about following the plot as much as I am right. just, just being there when right. it's happening.
1: I think there a lot of us came up during that period. There was, there was like Victor Nunes and John Sales and Hailey Greenman and, and Julie Dash. A lot of people came up during that era, you know, and... Uh-huh. I, I think uh, there was something in the atmosphere that sort of um, shaped us all to some extent.
0: Yeah. Have any idea what that might have been? <laughs> I, I,
1: you know, I think it's just there was a point when film was still considered an art form. You know, <laughs> And we're still struggling with that.
2: Concept. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: I don't know what it is now. Somewhat. Yeah.
2: I want to ask you how your role as a filmmaker has evolved since The Killer of Sheep.
1: Oh, um, it's well. I think when earlier you kind of. Idealistic and never think about well, you know, you're just going to do it. You think to think think about making a living because when we started making film, it was reaction to you know Hollywood films. Um, there wasn't you know any kind of access to the you know the Hollywood uh, uh, an awareness of being able to make these films outside of having a second job and I mean uh, I mean a primary job, which is something like uh, a hobby. Yeah. Now you kind of like depend on it a great deal, so I think that's changed a great deal. There's fewer opportunities. I mean, there used to be people who were interested in financing independent film to some extent. I mean, like German television and mm-hmm. Channel Four, it was much easier to approach them without having, you know, the, they get the same elements you need in Hollywood, like a star and mm-hmm. and all this sort of thing. They want
2: they want a name. On yeah, Bonamarty. yeah. Everything
1: wants everyone wants a name, international personality, or something that sells well in this area and this area. I think the audience has changed a great deal in many ways. Uh, you know, you, you can have a film where you can just enjoy, you know, look, looking at I- image. But yeah. now, I mean, you have to cut, like, you know, this is <laughs> cliche, like like MTV and stuff like that. You know, quick pace and everything. Um, like when I look at um, The Sleeper the Anger, sometimes it seemed really slow. You know, at the time I made it, it didn't seem slow. But now, it just seemed relatively, you know, yeah. the, the shots even... Um, Sleep with Anger and uh, My Brother's Wedding, it's just, comparatively speaking, they seem rather um, plotting and, and slow-moving. Slow
0: oh, I wouldn't say
1: that. Yeah, I wouldn't. I,
0: I, that. I, I think they're they're beautifully paced, and, and now things are, get a little bit frenetic sometimes. Oh, yeah. I, I mean,
1: but this is the audience, you know. This is yeah. the sad part. I'm yeah. sure there's many people, I think, um, you sort of have to re-educate people uh, or that find them because, mm-hmm. um, you know, we have the Pan-African Film Festival here, and, and the films that shown there and are very popular... Are, are very similar, you know, to our style of filmmaking. But, you know, you, you would hear um, that, oh, these films would never make it, you know. But if you look at the audience that come visit it, you know, at the time these films are shown, they're packed, and everyone are very thrilled. And, and they come back every year to see more films like that. But when you try to do it um, in terms of a commercial way, like um, trying to get a, a distribution deal or something, they look at, well... You know, uh, it, how will the mainstream react to it? Right. You know, it's always about how the general public will react to it, yeah. and they're all trying to make as much money as they can. If it, even if it does a little bit of you know business, they're not interested in that.
0: What are you working on now?
1: Well, I just finished a film um, about uh, the liberation of Southwest Africa, which is now mm-hmm. Namibia. It's called Namibia: The Struggle for Independence. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, a, it's an epic film. Uh, it's Two hours and thirty minutes, something like that, uh-huh. and it tells the story of, you know, like I said before, the the history of the struggle for liberation in the mm-hmm.
2: Well, I want to thank you very much for being here on Film School. The film that is going to be released finally is Killer of Sheep, the mm-hmm. Killer of yeah. Sheep, <laughs> and also I was going to say my, my brother's, brother's wedding. wedding. Yes. so they'll be out. And uh, to please look for these films and once again, Charles Burnett. Thank you for being here on Film School.
1: Thank you. I really appreciate it.
0: To learn more about Film School, listen to more interviews, or subscribe to our podcast, visit our website at kuci.org slash filmschool.